It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to monday.com. There's a place here at the table. Your coats go by the door. You can kick your shoes off in that pile on the floor. I hope you wore elastic because your waistband's going to get tight. Take time. Hi guys, it's Ari. And I'm Sophie, and you're listening to Having a Night. A podcast dedicated to reviving the lost art of the dinner party. The dinner party in quarantine. Here we are. Another party. Exactly. Another very small party. What did you eat this week? Oh, okay. What did I eat this week? Well, I want to talk about what I ate and also about what I'm going to eat. So my dad has gotten like everyone, into baking bread recently. So he baked a couple of no-need breads that are so good. I mean, they're definitely good fresh from the oven. I don't know how well they age, but who cares? You can have them fresh from the oven because we have nothing better to do than sit around and eat bread. He has been using the Cook's Illustrated no-need bread recipe, which adds beer, and it's really good. Does he have a sourdough starter or is he just using yeast? So he is on his fifth attempt at a sourdough starter. So at this point, I'm going to go ahead and say, we're never going to have a proper sourdough. <laughs> but huh. then you need bread. Yeah, you just use yeast. You don't need a sourdough starter. So I wonder if the beer adds that like tangy flavor that you would get from a traditional sourdough starter. That's genius. I think so. Exactly. Like it tastes less like a traditional white bread and more like, I mean, the crust is beautiful and the crumb is really nice. Look at me using these words. Um <laughs> So yeah, so that's been good, but it's also ramp season right now. The ramps have ramped up and today we're going to try to make a pizza with ramps. I'm so excited. Did you find them or did you buy them? Found. Oh my goodness. Okay. I think that's going to be my activity for the next few days because I know a bunch of other people out here in Connecticut who have been finding them, but I guess I haven't looked yet. So yeah, it's so exciting. I mean- now that we're not in the city, we can forage all we want, as if I would know what the hell I was supposed to be looking for. Yeah, just poison yourself. Um, what did you eat this week? I made this incredible and very simple David Tannis recipe for this uh, fennel bake. And you chop the fennel, not lengthwise, the other way-wise. So, so it's, it's like, like in rounds. Yeah. Yeah. Like an inch thin, and then you blanch them really fast, and then you bake it with just some olive oil and herbs and some mozzarella. And it's kind of like a gratin, but lighter, and just all that fennel flavor. It was it was a hit. It was wow. a side dish, but it was the it was the main event. It stole I, the show, as they I say. I kind of want to make that. That's you should. Oh, so good. Well, this spring fennel's very spring, so there should be some fresh fennel coming up sometime soon. I yeah. guess where we are is apparently like sort of two weeks behind everywhere else in the vicinity because we're kind of like up on this hill. Um, so weirdly, it's like, you know, any vegetables that we would be growing right now are going to come in like two weeks after everyone else's, which sort of sucks, but whatever. Huh. Well, you have something to look forward to. True. 
little microclimate. Um, okay. So guys, first of all, we've been doing chip hours every Tuesday on Instagram live, which have been so much fun. If you guys haven't tuned in, please do. We just like sit around and talk and eat chips and drink drinks and people ask us questions. And it's just like a really lovely way to kick off the week, especially in these dark times. So yeah, join us every Tuesday at, I think let's keep it at 6 PM Eastern time. Yeah. Seems to work. Yeah. So this week we have a really exciting reissue of an episode that we absolutely loved from our very first season where we got to talk to Bianca Bosker, sommelier, author of Cork Dork, just insanely knowledgeable, cool woman. And I think it's so apt that we're going to replay this uh, episode today because the three of us and our significant others had one of the last kind of proper dinner parties before self-quarantining. Yep. So such a great dinner. I have a photo of me holding a gigantic, like a brick of foie gras, um, just before all we did was eat beans. Um, it it was definitely a last hurrah moment. We drank some incredible wine and champagne. It was so goodbye, not knowing where the future would lead. Totally. It's so wild to think about. Um, but this is our first, this is the first time that we've re-aired something, but we felt like this was sort of topical because, you know, everybody is still drinking, probably drinking more than they have before. And I feel like this is such a good time to learn a little bit about wine if it's a subject that you're interested in. Absolutely. Plus liquor stores have been deemed essential. So like, (laughs) Hey, (laughs) yeah, you You can can try all the wines you need. Exactly. Um, I had so much fun re-listening to it and just struck by the memory of recording it sitting on your floor. Yes. Um, it was kind of before we started using the studio, the the real studio, and we were sitting in on the floor in Sophie's room on pillows with a mic kind of propped up on a chair. Oh, we were definitely less than six feet apart. We were like half a foot apart. Those yep. were the days. Exactly. And hopefully when we're out of quarantine, we can have her back on. So you should probably listen to this episode to brush up on everything before we have her back on post-quarantine when we're in a whole brave new world. Who knows what it'll be Yeah, so enjoy this one, guys, and we'll see you uh, on Chip Hour next Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern time. We're sitting here with Bianca Bosker, who wrote one of my favorite books of the last, I don't even know how long. Of the last century. It is. Let me help you. It's a classic. Exactly. Instant classic. Cork Dork. We love it. Thank you. Truly, truly love it. Cork Dork, all about wine. And, you know, how to become a sommelier. It's really a 101 to becoming a psalm. Right. And a good smeller. (laughs) And a good smeller. Actually, good smeller was a big thing. I thought, like, reading about driving down the highway and not even listening to the radio because you're just busy smelling. Love that. Something I aim, I strive for. I was yeah. actually running this morning in the park and I smelled something and I started like running off in some other direction trying to find it. I still <laughs> oh don't God, know like what it was. Dog. I know. That's amazing. It was it was the highlight of my morning. I still don't like know what floral? it was. Yeah, it was floral. it was a nice smell. Yes. yes. It was like maybe jasmine. <laughs> it was very canine. Actually like, either jasmine or a porta potty. It was like oh. that beautiful, oh, you know, like wow. white flower smell, sort of yes. funky and odd. But anyway. <sighs> 
Mm. Like, how do you start pairing things aside from just saying, like, red meat goes with red and fish goes with white? Right. So the first thing you have to do is forget that advice. Okay. Yes. Um, (laughs) That is deeply limiting. I don't know who invented that. It's become, you know, it's become this just mantra, and it's not true. And the reality, the dirty secret, is that there's no right way to pair wines. It's so subjective. That being said, I think that there are ways that you can do it better. You know, Mm -hmm. I think that the first thing is to understand what you like and actually embrace and learn how to savor these forgotten senses of taste and smell. Because if you don't know what acid feels like on your tongue, if you don't know what raspberry smells like in a wine, you're never going to know if it's a good pairing or not. Like, I just think it's more important for you to know for yourself what that feels like when it works than it is to memorize some mantra. Yeah. That being said... If you want to sort of think about, I would say that the kind of golden rule of wine pairing reads a little bit like a riddle, which is that. Um, so like, doing, I, know. I feel like we're about to like get a leprechaun. Unlock the world of wine. <laughs> um, yes, it's sort of like a brother's grip. Like if you oh find the secret, um, but it's that opposites attract and likes complement. And. Inherently in that, that's... Attract and likes compliment. And it's totally contradictory, which should give you some clue that there's not really a right way of doing it. But when I say opposites attract, it's like, okay, well, you have a really, you know, fatty steak, right? You want a wine with a lot of acid. Right, acid through it. Cuts through it, exactly. Acid is like... Gatorade when you're running. It, like, keeps your tongue fresh and activated. Right. Um, And so... That's why, you know, you think about the classic pairing. It's like a big juicy steak with like a Bordeaux, right? These are right. like acidic, tannic wines. They have a little bit of grip and then you have that like juicy fat of the steak. And it literally makes your tongue feel so different, right? It's like you yeah. take a bite of steak, your tongue feels one way, and then you drink something that's really tannic and all of a sudden it becomes like raisin yeah. in your mouth. So it's like those two things. You're right. And we should define better. tannic and talking about tastes. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding. Tannic means that like grippy sort of cotton mouth feeling that you get where it's the like, you know, oh my God. Like dry. It's new and I'm so ready for a tannic wine, I gotta say. <laughs> it's about 10.30 in the morning. <laughs> um, which is different from dry. I think some like right. sadists decided that yes. when you know something about wine, you have to call a liquid dry. Dry technically means there's no so sugar. Um, and so we talk about dry wine, it means like that's a spectrum, like sweets on one end, dry is on the other. Different mm-hmm. from drying, which is tannic. It's confusing. This is why you feel intimidated by wine. Mm-hmm. Okay, so opposites attract, likes complement, meaning that let's say you had that dinner with that like juicy steak and some tannic Bordeaux. It was delicious together. If you've ever had some of that Bordeaux left over and then you have dessert, it goes from being this delicious wine to being basically vinegar. It's disgusting. There's right. something about that tannic acid that when you have like a sweet dessert, does not work. Yeah. So likes complement, sweet with sweet. So sweet wines... Are, have the say, have enough kind of oomph to them to stand up to a really sweet dish. Also, right. acid likes compliment. Like a super acidic salad, Whoa. you need a wine that has some decent acid to it. Yes. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm now very hungry, I will say. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, how do you avoid pitfalls of, like, yeah. ordering, of just buying a 
shit wine. Right. Especially, I guess you have to make mistakes in order to learn, but when you're just beginning, people are always like, don't be afraid to talk and say what you like and talk to the psalm at the restaurant or talk to the person at the wine store. But then if they're giving you the wrong bottle of wine and you spent anywhere from like $12 to $40, you're going to feel like an asshole. And you're going to hate that person. Yes, you will not patron their shop or restaurant. But I don't know. Well, I think that the first thing is that bad wines happen to good people. Like, it just happens. You know, it doesn't... I mean, I can tell you that, so before I wrote Cork Dork, I didn't know anything about wine. Like, there's people that obsess over the differences between Burgundy and Bordeaux. I could not have told you the difference between bottled and boxed wine. Like, I didn't know anything. Mm-hmm. And now that I've, you know, like, I'm a card-carrying sommelier, right, and I wrote this book so, about wine, oh, I go out to restaurants with friends, and they always, are like, assume that I'm going to pick the wine. And sometimes I pick shitty wines. Right. And I feel like crap. I feel awful. But you, I was just going to say, like, you also know that you can identify, oh, guys, sorry, I really picked a shitty wine this time, didn't right. mean to. Whereas I think, you know, sometimes for us, it's probably, like, is it you're sh- like, but is it good? And my, my taste buds just aren't calibrated, right? Yeah. Which is just not true. It's like taste buds, it's taste, so it's right. just personal. Right. So there is an element of, again, subjectivity. Like, I, one of my dearest friends loves what sommeliers refer to as cougar juice. Oh. Like, very... Like a shot weekend drinking round bower. <laughs> Yes, we did. Four years ago. Does it need also fall under cougar juice? Um, it depends. I would say less so. It's more the like the Malbecs, the you know, New oh. Zealand Sauvignon oh. Blancs, the super oaky Chardonnays. Well, I'm a cougar, so <laughs> <laughs> it's also I learned from a winemaker in New Zealand they refer to it there as bitch diesel. Oh, Love Jesus. that Love term. That. I have my bitch own bitch diesel. diesel. Yeah. Is that how they sound there? <laughs> I don't know. What I okay, Here we go diesel. again. <laughs> So there is some way where you're not going to please. Like I've ordered wines that I think are amazing, and I can tell that the people that I'm ordering them for don't love them. You know, I think that I remember going when I didn't know anything about wine to like bachelorette parties and doing wine tasting. Yes. And I'd be like, "Oh, honey, it's all relative. Like you like what you like. That's which what is I not hate. helpful yes, if you don't help, know no where way. to start. <laughs> right? Yeah. So what I would say is, first of all, know before you've like memorized any regions or grape varieties, figure out how, what are the noble grapes? Like you have these classic grapes, Mm. Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, Pinot Noir, Cabernet Sauvignon. Figure out like what does each one of those taste like and how does it change as it moves throughout the world? And so maybe spend one week drinking only Chardonnay. Spend another week only Sauvignon Blanc until you've really mastered it. It's my first piece of advice. The second is we... today. (laughs) The journey starts now. now. Oh my God. The other thing is, so we've been told that the sense of taste and smell don't matter. And I'm here with the full force of cork dorks and sommeliers to say that you should ignore that advice. They are wrong. I should say, those people that tell you they don't matter, they are wrong. Hmm. Um, But so we have to build our sense memories. Like you're never going to pick up on the green bell pepper in a Sauvignon Blanc if you don't know what green bell pepper smells Mm -hmm. like. So I had a master perfumer who was one of my mentors who basically told me, you need to describe the smell of every aroma that you encounter over the course of the day. It's like tasting notes for your shampoo in the morning. It's describing the smell of that parsley you put in a dish at night. But you need language to solidify those smells. Yeah. The third part is what happens in your mouth. And so when you think about wine, it's like you have 
um, some very concrete, objective, measurable elements that define the structure. So structure is what a lot of people talk about when they describe the quality of a line. It's like if you're talking about the quality of a book, you talk about the characters, the arc, the plot, the dialogue. For wine, structure means alcohol, tannins if there are any, acid, sugar. So, you know, what does acid feel like? I mean, a lot of us don't even know. And acid, you can feel in your tongue because it makes you drool. Um, tannins, we talked about, like it's this sticky sensation. Alcohol, almost more of a burn. You know, you're feeling that heat. Does it go back to like the back of your molars? Does it go down into your throat? Think about whiskey or tequila, right? Like right. that burns into your toes. 151, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Um, Union weekend, people. <laughs> but that's how you really... You know, you have to be able to sense these qualities for yourself in order to judge whether or not you like a wine. What yeah. is your personal wine? And then you can go to a sommelier, to a wine store, and you really only need two pieces of information to drink phenomenally well. And that's... Oh Yes. Another <laughs> Everyone be quiet. What are they? So it's first roll. of all, how much do you want to spend? Okay. And what flavors do you want? And that could be as specific as saying, I had an amazing Slovakian Riesling. What do you have like that? Mm -hmm. Or as general as saying, I like wines that taste like peach. And I have a friend. Um, her mom is at dinner with her mom. And her mom said, I like wines that taste like shit. And I was like... Excellent. Yeah, like a barnyard. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, if you like horse shit, we're going to go Bordeaux. If you like cow shit, we're going to go Burgundy. And oh she said, horse shit. So we got our great glass of Bordeaux. She was thrilled. That's so funny. But it really, until you, until someone shows that they can't be trusted, I, I mean, sommeliers, people, great wine stores, like they want you to drink well. They want to help you. They know more about these wines than you ever could. And yeah. they're literally waiting to use that knowledge on other people. Yes. Right. Yes. It's like they want you to ask and to pick their brains. They're not sitting around being like, I want to sit in my high castle and with my knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you do if the other day I was at a great restaurant in Brooklyn and they had a really great but very short wine list mm. all wines that produce from producers I had no idea mm. I didn't recognize Sounds any of them very Brooklyn yes <laughs> yes like small great there are probably a lot of natural wines on there but I also didn't know what we were going to order right so it's like how do you navigate that and you're trying you want to talk to the song but then you kind of feel like an asshole the longer you look at the list and you're like the longer I look at this isn't going to mean I'm going to suddenly remember what... I don't know any of these. Right, you know? right. So then I can begin to describe to the psalm what flavors I might want and how much I want to spend, but then I don't know what I'm ordering. Right. I guess I have to make a decision somewhere. Well, I think that there's... You've touched on a really important point, which is what is going to drive the wine that you order, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, is it the taste of that wine on its own, or is it how that wine tastes with the thing you're eating? Right. Yeah. Um, and I think that it, it's, it again, is a bit of a personal choice. I mean, I think that there are wines, for, for me, like Italian wines, most Italian red wines, they're not sipping wines to me. They are meal mm -hmm. wines. Yes. Like, totally. they are not things that I think taste personally that great in isolation. They're tannic, they're acidic, they need, like... A bolognese or something right. to make them delicious. Um, on the other hand, you know, it's, I think you've picked up on something which is so true. Oftentimes, it's just the sort of formula and restaurants that we've entered into where you're right. expected to order the wines before you've yes. ordered the food. Yes. Um, which maybe is a way of getting people to drink more. You know, <laughs> I mean, if you yeah. think about it, and I'm here, by the way, to advocate for everyone um, getting over their guilt at 
spending money on wine in restaurants. Because mm. if you care about restaurants, wine and alcohol, liquid keeps restaurants liquid. These are the things that really they make money on. And so, yeah, yeah. So true. you know, I don't begrudge them wanting to get you to drink more, but, um, you know, I think that you're, you're right. It's also a matter of like, what are you really eating out for? What do you care more about yeah. the wine or the food? Well, yeah. cause you can also obviously like order a glass before you've ordered the food. And then once you know what you're eating, ask the yeah, song I guess to have a cocktail while you look over the menu or something. Yeah. And then, and then the rest of the week sort of shot, but you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, I will go back. Something, Sophie, that you mentioned that I think is so important, though, is this idea of getting over also our fear of sweet wines with savory foods. Yes. And there's this weird myth in the U.S. that, like, sweet wines are not serious. Mm-hmm. That they are the sort of cougar juice, bitch diesels. They're not to be taken seriously. And... Sweet wines, sweet white wines used to be some of the most expensive, precious wines in the world. We drank them with oysters throughout the meal, you name it. Um, I also feel like Psalms are obsessed with Riesling. Which is delicious. And not only sweet, but delicious. Well, Psalms, the other thing, going back to your seven wine list in, um, in Brooklyn, is that you also have to appreciate that there are trends in the wine world among sommeliers and wine retailers the same way that there are trends in the fashion world and in the food world yes yeah and so they you know in the same way that vogue is going to announce that like teal is the color of the season Mm -hmm. the sommelier is a product of their environment right Right. so if they're really into riesling you're going to get a whole lot more recommendations for riesling like chenin blanc had a big moment Mm -hmm. grower champagne bordeaux is so uncool that now it's cool again right yeah there's constantly natural natural wines wines. orange wines (laughs) i had a really cool sparkling orange wine wow yeah last like the only one in the world Maybe. That's amazing. Have I don't know. It's a rare. That? It's an interesting yeah. combination. I don't know where they got it. I was with some fancy people, but it was so cool. It almost tasted like like a sour ale or something. Yeah. It was really... Or cider. Yeah. There's but one it was called... not sweet at all. It was like earthy and bubbly and sour and amazing. Yeah. Very adventurous. See, you, you, oh my you should give yourself more credit. I mean, I love <laughs> wine, but I just... I still... I think it's a very American thing to feel like it's this elitist thing. Yeah. I think Europeans and cultures where they start drinking wine younger, I think all my palate's fucked up because you start drinking wine, it's illegal, you're drinking to get drunk, and right. so you you kind of teach yourself to drink without tasting. Mm. But see, so my dad, my dad is German, and so I grew up drinking, like, a lot of wine with my dad. From the time that I was, like, five, he would either make me, like, a mini spritzer or he would just give me, like, you know... An inch or, of course, with a spritzer, you can barely taste it, but, like, you know, an inch or an inch and a half of wine. Yeah. <laughs> totaling up to a bottle, obviously. And and his theory was always that, like, oh, I would develop such an appreciation for mm, wine. Right. Mm. Obviously, got to high school, started drinking shit. Right. <laughs> and, like, and I felt like those two things kind of lived side by side. But I exactly. didn't feel like him giving me appreciation for wine made me not drink crappy alcohol. You know? Hmm. Yeah. Like, I maybe appreciate it a lot more now than other people. Like, it didn't didn't feel like it took me a while to ramp up into loving wine because it felt like I always had. Yeah. But I still drank, like, a lychee martini (laughs) or jungle juice and enjoyed it. It's just something I'm very new even, you know, at my age now. Like, I have to remind myself to, like, taste the wine throughout the meal because Mm. I'm so used to just being like, this is the liquid that I drink. 
while I'm to eating. Feel, to get this feeling. Right. Yeah. And I would add one more piece to that, which is to not only taste it, but to smell it. Because yeah. if smell you think it. about it, like we have five basic tastes. We can pick up, some scientists argue, about a trillion different odors. So, so much of the nuance in wine happens in the smell. It happens even before we put it inside of our mouths. Yeah. And so, again, I think because we have this sort of blind spot bias against smell, we don't appreciate that piece of it. And it's so, so critical. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think going back to what you were saying about, you know, Sophie, your love of jungle juice, um, there's a way... <laughs> I just don't want to put that on the back, back. folks. <laughs> um, that'll, that'll be the next dinner party. Um, there's, I think, a tension within the wine world. On the one hand, sommeliers, people in the wine world, they want everyone to kind of get over their fear of wine. They want them to drink more the way that Europeans do. It's not Mm -hmm. such a big deal. And on the other hand, there's a whole lot of judgment. Mm -hmm. I think there's a great deal of uh, guilt tripping that goes on where it's, well, if you like wine, but you don't like the right wine. Like, you know, but oh, you're drinking that, you know, and not this alternative orange sparkling wine from a small producer in Georgia who's, you know, never washed his hands. Like, what are you doing? Um, And I think that you can't have it both ways. And so, you know, I guess if people do feel intimidated, I would say it's like, it's not you, it's them. I mean, this doesn't have to be as scary as I think that the wine world has made it into. And I think there's a bit of a vested interest, right? It's like, if you need the experts to tell you what you're tasting, um, they stay in business. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I mean, yeah. well, I thought like it was so moving in your book when you were talking about the woman who you met in the South, where were in you? Virginia. In Virginia, Virginia Beach, yeah. yeah, exactly. Mm. Who was like, I love wine. Like I, I love wine, but like my clientele, I've never tasted those two hundred dollar wines that right. people are drinking in New York City. My clientele doesn't even know that that maybe exists because yeah. like that's not the world that we're living in. And so like how to give people an entry point into wine that doesn't feel so effete mm. and like so, you know, out of out of your grasp. Right. And to also right not make people feel guilty if they're like, yeah, I love you know I love a big oaky Chardonnay from California. You know, that costs like $10 or $12. There's something, there's some crazy statistic about like, you know, 98% of wine revenue comes from wine under $15. Oh, for sure. Which is also not like, that means like everybody's drinking bad wine. It's like, no, there's a lot of great wine for under 15, obviously. And of course, there's a lot of maybe what other people consider to be crappy wine, but like... Well, and the hope is also that it's a gateway. I mean, there's a lot of actual... Yeah, there's a lot of... um, disagreement within the wine world about this and I wrote a story about this that got a lot of sparked a lot of conversation including some threats Mm. Um, but there's you know I think uh, to me I am of the belief that like you have to start somewhere some people have their wine epiphany with like you know, a 1970 first growth Bordeaux some people have it over a yellowtail I mean We all come to different ways. Yeah. Yeah. I like fermented grapes. It comes in all all shapes and sizes. Mm -hmm. What are your other favorite things to bring? To dinner party? Yeah. You definitely brought champagne to me, which I greatly appreciate. I think that's such a... (laughs) Fabulous way to start any evening. Yeah, it just yeah, feels some, like wild card. I love nothing more than drinking champagne on like a miserable weekday. Mm, you know, like yeah. there's something. It doesn't need to be reserved for anniversary. You know what? 
But that's Maybe I'll so, have a glass of champagne today. Right now. You should. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Excuse me. You gotta go. <laughs> the door closed. <laughs> but pop. here's the thing about champagne, which I love this sort of trend that I feel like a lot of, or a few bars in the States are doing where like they're just opening basically champagne bars to say, you guys, like champagne doesn't only have to be reserved for the most special occasions. Like there are bottles that don't yes. have to be crazy expensive. I love that about airs. And, yeah. yeah. But how do you navigate champagne if you don't want to spend crazy amounts? Do so, you think there's great bottles under 30? So there's a couple of different ways. First of all, you don't drink champagne. You drink other sparkling right. wines. Yes. Which, what are your favorites that are not basically like so drinking I, cougar juice? <laughs> there's um, a sparkling wine from Oregon called Analemma that's the same grapes that you use to make champagne. So it's you know, um, Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, Pinot Meunier. Um, Delicious, amazing. I love Clément de Jura, Clément de Bourgogne, Clément d'Alsace. Mm-hmm. So Clément is a just a, the French word meaning it's a sparkling wine from Jura. It's a sparkling it's wine from Burgundy. It's a sparkling wine. Yeah, and champagne, like any region that you've heard of, Burgundy, Bordeaux, that immediately adds something to the price tag. It yeah. is mm-hmm. a brand, mm-hmm. um, and so you know, wines made with. Sparkling wines made with Riesling. There's an amazing, actually, sparkling orange wine, now that I think of it, called Dom Glivanos, I believe. It's from Greece. Maybe $16 a bottle. Delicious. Um, And I think that from Champagne, you also have the option of buying grower champagne, which Mm -hmm. can be crazy expensive, but also can be small. And grower champagne basically just means that the same person that grew the grapes also made the wine, which is not always the case in Champagne. Yeah. Yeah. So I have one, just to bring this back to dinner parties, just for a second. So Sophie and I um, kind of uh, talk about this basic formula a lot for people who are beginning the dinner party. And for food, it's, you know, you have hors d'oeuvres, you have, it's all family style. You have a salad, you have a cooked veg, you have a main protein, you might have a carb and you have a dessert. And instead of... And a cheese course. And then fours and then coffee and the tea. But the drinking, we say, tell your friends to bring wine and you make a punch. Um, just because then you don't have to make individual cocktails and you can kind of just pour whatever you have and distract like people. People love a punch when they hmm. walk in. And it looks know? pretty whatever. Yeah. So it's mostly to get uh, more work off your own ass when right. you're in the kitchen. Right. To get people drunk early. Yeah. Mm, so yeah. if you were bringing wine to such a party... What are some, besides we said uh, champagne and Sauterne, like what are some fun other wines that you could bring that aren't too expensive that might be different? You know, Mm, they're just bringing... That complement the... Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, there's so many. I mean, there's... um, The way to drink well without spending a lot of money is to look for wines from places you didn't know grew grapes that are made from grape mm. varietals you never heard of and can't pronounce. Right. Um, again, those don't have quite the brand recognition, so it's yeah. hard to charge as much. Yeah. Um, so I would... I was just going to say, and you can always, like, if you bring a bottle like that, you can always walk in and say, guys, I took a gamble, but hopefully it'll be delicious. You right. know, it's like... Right. You're, you're not it's like, oh, well, I brought, like, the best bottle of Bordeaux, right. and then it tastes like crap. And right. sometimes sure, I want to go to a party, and I want to bring something that's special, but I don't have the money to be like, I brought this fancy bottle of wine. You just want to bring something that's cool or something, yeah. Or, yeah. you know, so off the beaten path. in terms of what would be considered some cool at the moment, uh-huh. um, you would, you could bring, I mean, Riesling is just an old favorite. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
There, and again, there are dry Rieslings that are not sweet. They're fantastic. Um, and they're not expensive. They're yeah. very, very good value. There actually is a Slovakian Riesling from, called Chateau Bela. Delicious. It's mm-hmm. amazing. Maybe $13, $14 a bottle, $15. Wow. Um, Chenin Blanc, really big. Mm-hmm. Um, Chenin Blanc to me always smells like a wet sheep holding a pineapple. Um, oh, so it's a very particular wet. The pineapple is ripe. Okay. Yes. The pineapple <laughs> the sheep is cut is open. Wet. Yes, the sheep. Is. Yes. Right. So I'm just saying it's a very it's a very distinctive. Uh-huh. It's a great wine. image. Um, it's also a good way of like to remember grapes. It's like that's how, such specific <gasps> images to that's them. exactly that's how I'd always recognize it in blind tastings. If I got a sheep holding a pineapple, it was Chenin Blanc. Wow. If I got a really crowded bus after a red eye flight in Europe heading between the airplane and the terminal. I know that smell. French wine. <laughs> <laughs> But um, the terroir is bio. Yeah, that is. So you have Chenin Block. You have also these sort of, you know, post-Soviet bloc countries. Georgian wines, Slovenian wines are one of my all-time favorites. Slovia producer, I'm obsessed with. Um, Wines from other regions within France or Italy or Spain that you maybe don't hear that much about. Sicilian wines, incredible to me. Just so the reds, like. They are the most diplomatic red wines. Like they please the people that want the horseshit wines, but they also please the cougar juice drinkers. Mm-hmm. Grillo, white wine. If you like Sauvignon Blanc, like Grillo, take a white, like a walk on the wild side. Ooh, France, like Alsace fun. instead of Burgundy, Jura, uh-huh. the Savoie. Um, those are all things that are super hipster, but they're delicious. Yeah, and yes. and I agree. I think that that you actually it's a really nice way of taking the pressure off because if you show up. Like, if you show up with a bottle of Pinot Noir, like, it's hard to, I mean, not every Pinot Noir, obviously, but if you come up with something that's a little bit different, it is so much easier to say, look, this is a crazy wine, this, you know, guy with, you know, tons of tattoos recommended exactly. to me at the wine shop, but it comes from, you know, this woman who's been, like, making wine since she was 14. Um, you've got a story. Instantly, it's this experience, it's memorable, and if it's shitty... So yeah. And then yeah. you have right. the everyone yeah. be like, what do we think about this? Exactly. What, yeah, yeah, what are people tasting? I think it's a really nice way yeah. to... Well, I think inviting people to have an opinion about wine. Exactly. Like, if you think about your cheese plate, if you ask, if you give people, like, wine and cheese, and you ask them, what do you think of the cheese? Everyone has an opinion. Like, yeah. I like this blue cheese, I hate blue cheese. If you ask them about the wine, people don't feel empowered. You know, the answer is, will be like, I don't know anything about wine. Exactly. Yes, it's always that. Yeah, I don't know anything about wine. Shrouded in elitism. Right, or it's like, oh, I really don't like this. Right. Sort of nervous of like, I don't like this, but it's going to hurt me. (laughs) People are very reticent when it comes to trying new wines. Yes, it's very true. Yeah. If you could only have one cuisine for the rest of your life, Japanese. Definitely, you were gonna say that. What would you Yum. be drinking with it? Would you drink? Would you drink white with oh white with Japanese food, or would you just be a sake girl? So, first of all, Japanese in a heartbeat because there's every type of food exactly. within Japanese cuisine. There's a million different yeah. varieties. Secondly, I would. The Japanese have somehow mastered every alcohol. Mm-hmm. I mean, the best whiskey in the world. A lot of it comes from Japan. Sake, obviously. Yeah. And they master every obsession. Tea, beer. And wine recently is becoming um, a real Japanese art form. I mean, I had this, so it's koshu, is um, mm-hmm. the grape. Um, I hope I'm getting this right. Um, so they make a white wine out of it. And the white wine, if you were to drink that white wine with a French dinner, not good. Hmm. If you were to drink, it's a very, it is like, 
the lacy lingerie of wines. Oh it is like this God. very delicate, very light bodied wine and it really needs something as subtle as like raw fish to go with it. You Amazing. need really simple flavors. Um, which by the way is the other secret to wine pairing. We're bringing it full circle, which is if you wanna drink well while using the fewest number of brain cells, drink wine from the same country as the food. There's a sort of saying, what grows together, goes together. Yeah. Uh -huh. And uh -huh. so if you think about it, you know, if you're an Italian winemaker and you're making you know, wine in Tuscany and you're coming home to like this stew, or you're coming home to this big leg of meat, you want your wine to taste good whether you're eating for dinner. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, yeah. Italian food, Italian wine, German food, you know, it's, you got the bratwurst, you got the fat. There's a yeah. reason you drink Riesling, which is the super acidic thing. Um, Gosh, it is really interesting. Now I'm remembering last time I was in Tokyo about a year ago, there's, I forget what park it is, but it's dedicated part of it to this emperor, and I forget what time period, I'm such a bad history student, but he was obsessed with France, and there are all these parallels in mm, Japanese and yeah, French culture, yeah. and he was, you know, competing with France, and I think that's when they started making wines, and there are all these barrels of wines for sake, and I think also wine that are, have been preserved I think they're Amazing. like centuries older at the entrance of this park. But yeah, it's wow. both these cultures who really um, honor and hone the skills and craftsman craftsmanship in food and wine and and it takes such pride really in important. it. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. What are like your favorite like favorite wine and meal memories? So interestingly, I think that my favorite wine and food memories are either at the ultra highest end or at the most basic fundamental. Totally. Like I, when I was researching Cork Dork, I had the opportunity to go to uh, this dinner where we tasted almost, I think a dozen vintages of Chateau d'Iquem. Mm -hmm. And Chateau d'Iquem, if you've never had it, is the sun in a bottle. It is an mm -hmm. orgasm in a bottle. It is this thing that just sets all of your nerves on fire and makes you feel wonderful. Like it's it's an incredible wine. It's Thomas Jefferson's favorite wine, like the czars all imported and loved it. Um, and this was, it was a transcendent meal. I mean, yes. it was in a, such a special place. You're drinking history. I mean, it's not often that you get something from like 1921 and someone says, destroy this. And oh, that's what you do with my, an old wine, right? Yeah, it's true, it's true. Um, that's sort of part of what makes it so special is that it is ephemeral, that it's this exactly. thing that's been building up, building up, building up. And then you, in some selfish, amazing way, get to actually partake yeah, of it. Yeah, like, and I, th I think that there is, it's a little sadistic in a weird way, but it's also, I think, part of the pleasure. And I think there is that, you have to recognize how precious the moment is. I think mm -hmm. a, a glass of wine can really do that for you, right? It brings you... First of all, it brings you into the moment. No one really, besides you in college, chugs wine, right? I mean, it is a social beverage. Maybe and also, from the time I was five. <laughs> That's sort of the point. And it's also something that like allows you to travel through space and time without ever leaving the table. But then mm -hmm. I think about my other favorite wine food memories, and I can think about drinking shitty rosé on the beach at sunset with like a sandy hot dog, and like. Yeah. That is what wine also does well, right? It brings people together. You linger over a glass of wine. Um, it doesn't get you wasted. I mean, maybe eventually, of course, in some situations, but it just sort of loosens you up. It makes, yeah. I think it can create this sort of social glue between people, um, which is partially why it's so frustrating, I think, to me when wine is treated 
discussed in a way that feels alienating. Mm -hmm. Because at, at its core, it should be the thing that brings people together. Yeah, totally. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.